You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome to Almost Nomadic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me tonight is... Colleen. Lex. And Sean. I guess we're not doing uh, last names anymore, we're pulling a Kevin. Awesome. Uh, anyway, anyway, we're, we're recording on, <laughs> on October 19, 2020. Yes, you heard that right. It's still 2020. It's been three years, but it's still 2020. <laughs> Nice one, Ryan. As I drink about it. Yeah. Naturally. The 2020 wouldn't be uh, nothing about an actual war. So tonight we'll be talking about the uh, Armenian-Azerbaijan conflict. Kind of do some background a little bit and talk about the current uh, shenanigans ongoing there right now. Um, But, as always, before we get started, what's everybody drinking? Lex, what are you drinking? I am drinking a white Manhattan. Which I took a cocktail making class and uh, a virtual cocktail making class last weekend, and um, but instead of trying to make more cocktails, we were out for a walk the other day and and walked by a barbecue place doing to go cocktails, and uh, so I bought a basically a 750 milliliter repurposed whiskey bottle filled with uh, white Manhattan. So that's my uh, that's my drink, and I'm sticking with it. What is it? It's a white Manhattan. It's it's a Manhattan made with white rum. Oh, uh, is it? Like, yeah. Sweet. Or white white whiskey, sorry. Huh. All right, Sean, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking the always classy, always high class Miller Lite, also known as Vitamin M. Didn't you buy, <laughs> didn't you guys buy a ton of beer recently? And like it just stacked in your fucking apartment? But you're, that's what and you're drinking, Miller Lite? And we drank all of it. Oh my god! No, Except not, the Twenty. Not all of it. I like. I we visit upstate New York. Um, I'm drinking Utica Club uh, Pilsner nice. that I got, and so we got a bunch from like Saranac and Utica Club. So we we brought back like I don't know, like twenty. I think it was only a twenty four pack, but we're almost through. We haven't drank it all yet. It's it's literally, getting very low. Literally, when we recorded like two weeks ago, Sean is like, like during the fucking podcast, get out moving bottles and shit around like like a monster. Um, well, let's uh, do what we can to encourage him to finish it off tonight. So, interacting with Ryan is cause to drink, so that makes sense, yeah. Anyway, what I'm drinking, <laughs> I'm just drinking a vodka lemonade. Mmm, classy. Wow. Not really. I remember being 17 years old. <laughs> nice Mike's well, Hard Lemonade. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like vodka and I have lemonade, so that's what I made. Okay. I need to go sure. buy actual liquors. I just haven't done it since the beginning of the pandemic two years ago. Seems like a personal <laughs> problem. I mean, I, that's both, I, I don't know if that's a, a big mistake or to be very proud of you for that restraint. <laughs> I suppose it's been broke, uh, mostly. So <laughs> that's also a caveat. It's not. It's not because any like more moralistic reason. 
it's 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 economic more than anything else yeah no, I, an economic driver is a powerful thing mm-hmm. that would be next episode economic economic factors driving ryan's drinking <laughs> i'm not sure we could squeeze that into one podcast it would probably have to be a two-parter or something like that so. i would say a trilogy at least ah, <laughs> yeah. and mm-hmm. we could do a reboot and, spin- and, and disney spinoffs <laughs> I mean, don't worry. I'll come back with a bunch of bulk Natty Bo by the end of this next week. Um, there we go. I'll go back, go back to Maryland. Uh, go back to the, the Natty Bo mines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the only way both. to collect it. <laughs> yeah. All natural. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, they have a, a little bit of a history with uh, each other. So, uh, Lex, do you want to kind of Give us an idea yeah, what that is. Um, it's um, it's something. So, <laughs> essentially, it's Armenia awesome. and Azerbaijan are located in the uh, super simple, no nuance at all, the Caucasus region. <laughs> um, if you couldn't never detect that, that was sarcasm. It, it never any problems. It's an incredibly diverse, uh, culturally, linguistically, religiously, and nowadays you have Armenia, which, for those of you who are students of history. Uh, remember the Armenian Genocide, um, or if you're uh, one of our Turkish listeners, that thing that totally didn't happen. Um, <laughs> they, oh, and oof. he's been banned. By, <laughs> I'm never visiting Turkey, sorry. But basically, I'm pretty sure we already uh, are. Yeah, there is. There are a lot of strange borders and you know tribal dif- differences that have been happening for generations, but. Um, for most of the 20th century, all of this land that was Armenia and Azerbaijan, and as I'll get into later, Nagorno-Karabakh, um, this was all under the Soviet Union. So you have largely Christian Armenia, uh, largely Muslim Azerbaijan. It really didn't matter that, that much because both country or both countries were Soviet republics within a state uh, atheist system. Uh, once, however, the, the Soviet Union came apart, um, there near immediate conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, specifically over the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh, which is an enclave within Azerbaijan, internationally recognized, even by Armenia, they don't recognize the independence of the um, state uh, now that exists in Azerbaijan. But it's almost 99%, I believe, I don't know, Colleen can correct me here, of Armenian uh, background, people who live in this territory, which is entirely surrounded by Azerbaijan. In the early 90s, there was a war fought between the two um, that was very bloody, and it eventually ended up because the Armenians were slightly better equipped. 30,000 deaths, yeah. Um, Slightly better equipped, slightly better organized. Um, They managed to hold on to the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh and uh, the territory surrounding it. So Armenia basically occupied a big chunk of what the international community recognizes as part of Azerbaijan. And since then, it's been kind of a, uh, it's been termed a frozen conflict, like you see in a lot of post-Soviet states in Moldova with Transnistria, with now we see in Crimea and Eastern Ukraine, Georgia, Abkhazia, um, South Ossetia, um, all of these places that there are uh, occasional flare-ups of violence between the two. Armenia or Azerbaijan says that you know their territory is occupied and they won't rest until they, um, you know, wrest it back from the 
Armenian control and the Armenians say, you know, this is, this is Armenian territory. So essentially uh, in July of 2016, there were serious flare-ups. Um, that was the uh, most serious fighting since the 94 war um, that now in hindsight, a lot of analysts are saying this could be, um, this could have been Azerbaijan sort of tested, giving its, uh, its newly revamped armed forces. They've, they've bought a lot of new weapons from Russia, but also from, uh, crucially from Turkey and Israel even. Um, they've managed to be very strong diplomatically in the region, and they've upgraded their uh, arsenal substantially. So now... Yeah. And they've, uh, in the last flex, flex that um, flex that uh, oil money they got. Yeah, it does help to be on the Caspian Sea with all that oil money. Also, three times bigger population than Armenia. Um, and now we're seeing a concentrated move by Azerbaijan. Uh, now that they they have a strong unconditional backer in Turkey, um, Russia has significant ties, cultural ties, and diplomatic ties to Armenia, but they're more standoffish they want to keep the peace in the region so now azerbaijan in the last few weeks has figured this is the right time to make a territorial grab which is why we're seeing uh one of the few examples of state on state conflict in the 21st century yeah thanks lex that was uh okay the guys i was almost somatic <laughs> <laughs> nice and short one of Shortest the uh, ever. uh um, what is it speaking about how this like state on state violence that that's actually one of the things that makes it uh, complicated because Russia technically has a has a defensive has a defensive pact with our uh, with Armenia, and so it's yeah, where yeah, the, the Collective Security Treaty Organization knock off NATO <laughs> knock off NATO that never really went anywhere. Um, yeah. This is this is it's it's their it's it's what the Russians did after the Warsaw Pact fell apart and there was no more Soviet Union. Um, but it's it's where that, uh, as like I said, Russia really doesn't want any headaches down there right now. And they have a, what is relatively long-standing agreement with Armenia um, to come to their aid, but they also are perfectly fine with uh, with the Armenian, or with the Azerbaijani government, uh, at least, especially before this uh, this conflict, and especially they're fine with selling them lots and lots of weapons and making lots of money off that. So it puts the Russians in an awkward position to where they're, they don't want to deal with this right now, yet it's not really up to them at the moment, uh, despite their efforts to so far unsuccessfully broker a ceasefire. Yeah, I mean, also Russia has a base in Armenia. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it's important to note that that base and Russia's uh, sort of treaty obligations... Um, only are, are limited only to Armenia proper. It isn't, I mean, even, I don't think there's anybody that recognizes the breakaway state. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. Ar Arkesh, Arkesh, um, that is the Armenian. Is that Artak, uh, you mean? Artak, Artak, yeah. Uh, the, the Armenian breakaway state that, um, it, that encompasses the former Soviet of Nagorno-Karabakh. But Russia's agreement is pretty clear in that it, it defends the, the territorial integrity of Armenia, not this internationally recognized part of Azerbaijan. Yeah, and, the, yeah, and I, I think a lot of how the media has like framed this, and I'm, I am worried it's going to divulge into kind of a Turkey versus Russia 
conflict. And I think Russia did say that, um, that like, I, I think they're, like Sean said, they're kind of trapped and they don't want to get more involved. But I am afraid if they don't get more involved, Armenia is just going to be rolled over by Azerbaijan because Turkey is more than willing and has been um, aiding Azerbaijan in this. Um, and I, I think it just, um, it just the, the, uh, what Lex said with Artsakh, that's what the indigenous Armenians refer to, this uh, independent territory. And I, I think it's, it, it, it really is just Azerbaijan and Turkey ruling over Armenia at this point. I mean, it, they have triple the population of Armenia. Um, you know, they still don't recognize, Turkey still doesn't recognize that they committed genocide against their Armenians. And I think, you know, the international community isn't great about it either, including the U.S., um, because they don't want to piss off Turkey. And I, I am worried about the U.S. being involved in this and that they're going to frame it as like an Iran-Russia thing, even though Iran's not really involved. But I have heard some things that they're like, oh, well, Iran is like allied with Armenia. And that's not really true. Um, I mean, yeah. they, they have clo they have close ties, but they're not they're like marginally involved at this point. So I am worried that the U.S. is going to get involved, um, although Joe Biden has come out and said that um, he wants to review like our relationship with Azerbaijan. Um, but I, I do think it should just be pointed out that um, like Armenia is like fighting for their survival and they they've just seen their land and their people as being taken for almost a century at this point. Do you, I, I want to ask a question. Do you really see this getting to a point where Armenia is ground down so much that they lose Nagorno-Karabakh and then are basically fighting on Armenia for Armenia proper for their territorial sovereignty? I don't know. Um, I think it really depends on what happens with this and kind of how it plays out with the bigger powers of Turkey and Russia. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure, but I, I do think, uh, I mean, Nagorno-Karabakh is like majority Armenia at this point. Mm -hmm. um, like if they start to lose this, I mean, that does threaten their territory, territorial, territorial integrity at this point. So like, I didn't, I'm not sure if it will actually threaten Armenia proper, but I mean, throughout history, I mean, their country and their territory has diminished and their people, um, is being destroyed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They used to have an empire, <laughs> an, an Armenian right. state. Uh, is tiny now by comparison to how it used to be. And you have, I mean, you have Armenians in Syria, you have Armenians in Iran, you have scattered all over the place, as well as um, a massive diaspora that have been, you know, have fled the country, mostly descendants of whom have fled the country or fled the, the region after the 1915 um, genocide. And um, so now you have the Minsk group, which is made up of the U.S., France, uh, Russia, and then the two warring parties, Armenia and Azerbaijan. And France and the U.S. have, signific have significant populations, uh, most not of, of members of the Armenian diaspora, most notably the Kardashian family, uh, who are very politically active, um, who are very who are small, but um, there's a lot of wealth concentrated there, so there's a lot of political influence. Um, now, Azerbaijan is saying, well, the Minsk group hasn't been able to solve the conflict, which is, you know, true. Um, so we want to make, we want Russia and Turkey to be involved. Turkey, which hadn't been involved at all. Um, Turkey is a, as Colleen mentioned or alluded to, they are a, 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 a no strings attached supporter of Azerbaijan. They have a lot of cultural connections, um, economic connections and such. And Erdogan has been super bellicose 
about supporting Azerbaijan and reclaiming uh, what he and the Azer- the Azeris see as their, you know, their homeland. Yeah, there's been there's been stuff they've been saying that uh, American built F-16s flown by Turkey used against Armenian targets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, that's I don't know if it's happened recently, but it certainly happened early on in the conflict. There were territorial yeah. viola- or airspace violations by Turkey shooting down Armenian planes. But it's funny, you haven't seen that many, like, on the ground, we haven't seen a lot of, beyond that, we haven't seen a lot of, like, manned, like, use of manned fighters. We've seen a lot of these these drones that have been bought by our, our Azerbaijan, um, both Turkish drones and Israeli drones. Turkey and um, Israel have a long, prosperous relationship. Um, so, yeah, they've and they, that's been a sort of a new dimension to the conflict that didn't exist Back in the nineties, it's, it's it's also it's also interesting just because of that, for that just for that sake alone because like um, not a lot of conflicts have seen the use of armed drones. It's they're not widely used. It's mostly like the I mean predominantly it's the U.S. Right, but you haven't, you haven't seen it being used by other countries. So they're and they're using it uh, a lot um, on targets in Armenia or Nagorno-Karabakh yeah. and like the in the enclave. Yeah, and you haven't seen them used against us, us not another state military. I mean, granted, Armenia's, Armenia's military is like third-rate 1970s-era Soviet technology, but it's still, it has armored divisions, it has anti-aircraft systems, um, it has all the things that you see in a modern military, and this is the first, I mean, this is one of the first times that you see these relatively cheap loitering drones or even um, the Turks have repurposed suicide, basically flying things of TNT into Armenian positions. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a people have been talking about this kind of thing happening for a while, but now it's finally, finally happening. So. And, and, and on the part of drone, that's what makes it interesting is that it's uh, while Azerbaijan has, uh, you know, a lot of nice natural gas deposits and oil deposits that can fund a lot of uh, purchases. It's not like they're an economic powerhouse or that their their country thought of as swimming in cash. They they have resources, right. but it's not like it's plentiful. Um, but that even a um, a country with a moderate economy uh, can afford these systems, uh, and especially the Israelis, who I think are uh, I think are almost up with the U.S. as far as the number of drones produced, and a lot of those tend to be the smaller, much cheaper variety. Um, they've exported those all over the world and uh, and even have different armed, as you said, varieties. And I think outside of probably the U.S., then uh, the Saudis in Yemen, um, I think that this might be some of the first use of, or, or some of the... Um, uh, I'd say like the U.S. its NATO allies, and then the Saudis. This might be some of the like the first use of drones. It was. It wasn't. It, it wasn't yeah. the Saudis. It was the Emiratis. They drone striked um, leadership of the um, Houthis. I think from far as I know, they're like the second country to ever lethally kill someone with a drone. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's also like, like, seriously. Yeah, but it's, it's also important. It's like the. I mean, they've definitely revamped their military, but. The Zeris still have a lot of issues with top-down leadership. They're not. They've corruption is pretty insane. Um, they bought in a lot of fancy equipment, but you guys mentioned the Saudis in Yemen. I mean, they can Saudis can yeah. afford all the fancy equipment in the world. Doesn't really matter if you don't have boots on the ground, so to speak. So we've seen um, 
tactically, we've seen a lot of Armenian, I mean, this gets brought up every five years, it seems, you know, our tanks obsolete and such and such. And we've seen a, the Armenians take a lot of big losses um, in their, their armor divisions, their artillery divisions, and they've been pushed back in certain areas, specifically in the south of Nagorno-Karabakh, um, where it's the, the terrain's a little more friendly to armored movement and everything. But um, they haven't much pres- uh, gone beyond there. It's kind of become a war of attrition um, because of the terrain, because of all the, you know, they're running into Armenian, large Armenian population centers. So it's, um, it's, it's a nasty situation. Yeah, they've definitely been shelling. Uh, I mean, they, there's there's it, been shelling like uh, Armenian towns and cities like that. Stepankert, I think is how you yeah. say. It. Stepankert. Yeah. yeah, and they yeah, just the, the, the capital. Yeah. They've been they've been getting nailed, but then like same with Ganja in Azerbaijan has been hit a couple yeah. times by attack, uh, ballistic Armenian ballistic missiles. So yeah, not good. They're doing a not great job of you know going for civilian targets. Yeah, I saw a video of um, bombing of Stepanakert. I mean, it's just horrible that they're deliberately targeting civilian populations at this point. And it it has been mostly Azerbaijan targeting Stepanakert, but I mean, there has been Armenia targeting um, Azeri populations as well, which obviously isn't good. Um, Like, I I hate to be the one of like, there is violence on both sides, because I mean, there absolutely is. And um, although I, I like, I do think that Armenia is being deliberately targeted and pushed into a corner. Um, like that doesn't help anything of targeting yeah. deliberately targeting civilian populations um, in Azerbaijan. Yeah, yeah. A- Azerbaijan certainly instigated this round of fighting because I mean, mm-hmm. you think about it logically. Armenia had everything they could want. Their interest is there was there. I mean, we'll get into the the, the sort of social media disinformation angle, but. There's a lot who's, who, who did what first kind of misinformation, but it's pretty clear that Azerbaijan saw this as a, an appropriate time to make a move. But since then, there has been a lot of terrible, you know, shelling of civilian areas on both sides. Yeah, apparently, I, I was reading something earlier today. It was something saying that um, Azerbaijan claimed that Armenia was like getting ready for some giant military operation or something like that. Yeah, they called up their yeah. reserves a week before the like. The CIA said that they called up their reserves like a week before, and it kind of, yeah, that's a that's a pretty big signal <laughs> before anything starts. Azerbaijan yeah. did. Azerbaijan did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You don't. Uh, the the happenstance of oh yes, we called up. We we have a com, you know near complete military readiness for an attack that Armenia started is a bit, you know, is a bit too much. I would say to, yeah. to swallow. What do we want to do? We want to talk about that, the, some of the disinformation and all that kind of stuff, because it's been very much like, yeah. well, they did this or they did that, like you know, very much like t- like tattletaling, kind of pointing at each other, saying they're the ones who are doing something wrong. Yeah, let's talk been, about the, yeah. What's been going on on Twitter? Because I know there's like competing social media narratives. There's a lot of uh, both Ministry of Defenses are putting out like footage of their side winning, obviously. So like, what 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 do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, uh, especially. Uh, the diaspora, um, especially Armenian di- diaspora, but you see um, Azeri populations as well, um, just being very vocal on Twitter, um, very combative. Um, and it, it's hard to, for me at least, to decipher what's true, especially in the past few days. I've, I've seen literally 
so many times where there's been like, oh, there's a truce, but maybe it's temporary. Maybe it's not. We're not really sure what's going on. I don't think anyone knows what's really going on with the truces. Because um, even in the past like three days, I've seen that a bunch of times. And uh, obviously it's, not, it's either not holding or wasn't true. I think there's been two true, official truces. And then they both, it, it, both sides are immediately going like, hey, um, you know, they both said they broke the truce first. Yeah, One of them lasted like, for four minutes. The Russians are <laughs> the Russians are party to a truce. It gets broken a lot, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Sorry, Colleen, as yeah. you were. Um, no, and I think another thing on Twitter that I'm seeing, um, especially like people from like Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, FDD. I don't know if you guys know about them. Just. Um, very heavily funded um, by, you know, defense, uh, military, industrial complex, and they definitely have funding interest in this and are very, like, when they talk about Azerbaijan, like, defending Azerbaijan, um, you really have to look at, like, all right, well, who's funding you? And, like, where are your interests in, like, talking about this conflict? Um, and really, just really spreading disinformation. Like, a lot of them are saying, like Artsakh at, like doesn't exist. They're like, it's an imaginary place that nobody, like it's not a real place. Like Armenians are just making this up even though it is majority Armenia, Armenians. Um, and yeah, so there, there's a lot of uh, different narratives floating around on Twitter and you really have to kind of dig deep of like, all right, like, why are you saying this? Like, who, like what interests do you have in this? And yeah. it's usually funding, oh. it's usually the oil money. Yeah, are, but are we seeing because it, on the uh, it seems pretty like the Turkish Armenian line is pretty solid, but since Russia's position, the Kremlin's position is so ambiguous in this whole thing, um, and the I mean you have the the Armenian the very strong populist Armenian diaspora all over the place, is there like a, a counter narrative on Twitter or or or, or wherever? I don't, I don't know what's like. I mean, what I've seen, but it's very, it's a small subset. It's just what I'm seeing because I mostly interact with a lot of like uh, activists, like anti-war activists. And so those are like 99% of the Armenians that I'm following on uh -huh. Twitter are very much anti-war and even a lot of Azeris as well. Very much anti-war, very much aligned with Armenians against any kind yeah. of war because they recognize that war is just not working at this point on, for either side. Uh, so that's really what I've been seeing of countering that narrative, but I'm not sure if that's like a dominant narrative at this point or not. Yeah. So, so what I think we need to all accept though, is the, um, is the high importance in foreign policy, especially for this conflict of Kim Kardashian. Um, and, and, and I know how much Ryan wanted to talk about this, but I uh, will make this argument that uh, for those not in the know, uh, her and her family is of Armenian descent. And uh, and especially on social media and of different things, um, she has a very large following and uh, has on different occasions tweeted out things about uh, what's going on in Armenia and their uh, and the fighting going on there. And that I would make the case that more or as many people have heard about this conflict via the different Kardashians and their antics as probably know about it out, you know, just like, you know, by watching the news and stuff like that, because it's not like it's 
I feel like right now with all that's going on with COVID, especially with the U.S. election, um, it's hard to uh, there's not a lot of oxygen in the room for much else, um, uh-huh. which is I mean, I don't I don't there. You could ask a lot of reasons why the Azerbaijan, uh, why Azerbaijan kind of chose this moment to. But I mean, up until at least November 3rd, uh, it's going to be hard to get a lot of news coverage of anything else but the U.S. election, to be frank. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're uh, you're not wrong. I mean, the big thing is that, I mean, they are spreading it mostly because social media is a soapbox for stupid people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I stand on that. Yeah, and I, I, I think you've, you're onto something, Sean, because, like, as we've been saying, like, I, I guess less so with Azerbaijan, but the Armenian population has been spread so widely in so many places. And in places like LA, they've done uh i mean they've they've developed a political voice at first locally and now nationally with um people like the kardashians or i mean it it it, i mean yeah it's 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 definitely something worthwhile to look at like the impact of i'm sure this will be it whether this quiets down in the next week or next month next year it'll be worth looking into the impact of what the diaspora communities um, specifically for the Armenians did in terms of um, how the direct effect of like, did that, did Kim Kardashian tweeting really help out on the ground or, I mean, how, or how do you measure influence? How do you measure, um, you know, reach in this kind of thing? So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think although social media can be largely a negative thing, I I do think it is a powerful tool for organizing in this aspect. Um, And part of it is also um, just the media that can get into um, the area right now. I know it's it's very much cut off from journalists. Not a lot are going there right now. Um, So the very few that are there, it's really powerful narratives. Um, So Mm -hmm. It's just following those and uplifting them and social media can be a really powerful tool for that. But then it's like, um, you know, who, who is posting about what, what kind of disinformation, but I, yeah, I agree that I, I, I do think that social media will be able to at least organize people into like coherent voices uh, for whatever they're advocating for, but it, it will be an interesting thing to look at in the coming weeks of what does that actually do? Is it going to be a negative thing with this information or can it be something else? Yeah. It's also something that can be very easily taken advantage of um, once a proper coherent strategy is in place. The uh, once or twice on uh, on Twitter, I have seen it where it'll uh, it would be a particularly pro um, pro uh, Azerbaijani uh, you know thing t- uh, trending of you know of like you know Armenian aggression or something like that, and it'll have you know over two hundred thousand retweets or something like that, which it which I mean I uh, I, I personally find sh- very shocking that something of this size and you know in a country that only has a couple million people uh can swing that much weight to get you know two hundred thousand retweets on twitter which at least in my mind makes me think okay there's there's something involved here but yeah it's it everyone has everyone has realized the importance of controlling information and uh this this case is no exception or just you know, making everything so messy that you can't tell what the heck's real. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because it's just like, you know, 
basically buying bots and that kind of thing um, to get the retweets and that kind of stuff. But uh, it's been a mess. So I've seen some concerns um, regarding Armenians, or really their their view of it. It's like, or really, I mean, you've seen on both sides that, like, you know, there's the threat of ethnic cleansing that could occur during this conflict, and that's kind of what people have been freaking out a little bit about that that could happen on. Anyway, so do you think ethnic cleansing is actually a real threat in this conflict, or is it just kind of just people playing, like, not playing up the side, but, like, you know, basically people being afraid? I'm not sure at this point. I mean, going back to the war in the 90s, um, there was ethnic cleansing on both sides. There were programs against Armenians or massacres against um, Azerbaijan civilians. Um, um, I can't really tell at this point if that's a threat. I don't think that's something that can be ruled out. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. But, but Colleen, but at least what I took from that statement, though, is that at least it has happened in the past. So yeah. it doesn't, so there's, it, it, I would say it's absolutely something that could occur, but as of so far, it's, as of so far, uh, that's not something that has occurred in this instant, but it's, I mean, you know, it, it, if it happened once there and essentially all the same, uh, you know, all the same uh, circumstances are the exact same as they were then, I don't see why it couldn't occur again now, um, except for fear, you know, extreme international backlash. Yeah. And that's the same thing with um, the prospect of wider interstate conflict in the region. I mean, I think even still the prospect of, um, you know, conflict between the primary backers of both of these countries, Turkey and Russia, is low. Um, mm-hmm. It's very low. It's not, I mean, we've seen uh, issues in Syria pop up, you know, uh, Turks shooting down Russian planes, um, things going on there. So this is a full-on shooting war between two relatively small countries, but it's a full-on shooting war, and there's strong vested interests by both uh, major players in the region, Turkey and Russia. So although the possibility of escalation is low, because I think specifically because you have the, the larger, the stronger power in this case, Russia has a vested interest in calming things down, um, it's not without, it's not outside the realm of possibility that this could escalate further into a true proxy conflict. Yeah, and I think no matter what happens, if Russia stays out of it because they want to avoid this large scale interstate conflict, that really leaves Armenia out in the open. Um, and then that increased the possibility of ethnic cleansing, even if it doesn't escalate, you know, Russia and Turkey. But then if Russia does become involved and it does evolve into this larger state conflict, interstate conflict, then I, I do think ethnic cleansing is more of a possibility. So I, I think it could be a possibility either way. Um, but I'm, yeah. yeah, I think it will, and that's why I'm not sure at this point, just I think it will really be telling of what happens in the coming months, um, because I, I think it could stay at this like low level conflict and it, yeah, it could divulge into something like that, unfortunately. Well, my, yeah, my no, thoughts, that's a- uh, the, my, um, my main thoughts on that was mostly because like if they, the biggest shot Azerbaijan has getting back its territory is dislodging the civilian population that lives there. And, like, they yeah. don't need to go and kill everybody, but they have to kill some people. And then I could, like, people be like, okay, we're going to flee to Armenia, which we've seen people already have done um, from Nagorno-Karabakh, like, in the enclave. So it's kind of like that's that's a concern. So, I mean, Azerbaijan, because Azerbaijan obviously 
wants their territory back. <laughs> yeah, which is so crazy because Azerbaijan has a lot of Syrian mercenaries fighting for them. Um, they've shipped over 1,500 of these members of the uh, quote. I don't, I don't honestly like the group shift. So the name of the group shifts so much, but it's basically the Free Syrian Army that occupies the north, where they kick Tur- the Kurds Tur- out. Tur- of. Turkey, Turkey's guys. Turkey, Turkey, yeah, Turkey's people, and now they're you know fighting a uh, to, and, and you know they've been. They've been subjected to over the past 10 years being evicted from their homes and ethnic cleansing and genocide and all that stuff. And uh, thankfully, we're not at that point yet. Um, and it's it's important to note that like this right now, this is not anything like the bloodbath, what's going on in Syria. But they're now in the position that they are the tools. The I'm, By they, I mean the Syrian mercenaries in you know, Nagorno-Karabakh. They're, they're being the tools to uh, change the facts on the ground, so to speak. And that's a pretty scary, uh, also, scary thing. To think. There's also, I guess, with that, I've seen some weird things of that thing, where it's like den- deniable kind of operations sort of stuff. Like, like, oh, they, we didn't do that; they did it, so it's it's not a problem. Well, it's exactly. I mean, it's exactly what the Russians did with their PMCs in Syria. Yeah. It's it, and which is why I feel bad for the Armenians that their main sponsor in this is the Russians. Um, I don't think the Kremlin. I, I think there's some sort of big brother, little brother, you know, affection between Armenia and uh, and Russia, and the fact that you know they've been their backers for a while, and there's a long history of Russian-Turkish conflict over this region. But it, I, I, I mean, if if you really if if you think the Russians have actually truly care about the Armenian plight in this situation, like I, I've got a bridge in georgia to sell you and then they'll probably take that one too so but uh yeah i mean i, I agree but i think the only way it would it could it could kind of escalate russia helping because it's like it's a fuck you turkey kind of move yeah but i the, the russians have more um to gain by having good relationship by having a good relationship with the turks than they do backing this armenian territory which is recognized by no by no one as armenian territory and, like not even I mean, Armenia recognized as their territory. So yeah, it, yeah and, and like the Russians will support a bunch of tiny breakaway republics in like Georgia and like in Moldova, but they're not. So I mean, it's not like they're really even shying away from you know tiny unrecognized countries. But I completely agree with what Lex said. Like they're 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 actually pretty cool with the the Turks at the moment. You know, selling them S four hundreds, you know, missile defense and a bunch of other things. Yes, they, Turkey, the greatest NATO ally. Not at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, they. Seem, I mean, the U.S. I mean, the U.S. is fine with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, Turkey, the U.S. is also disaster. Turkey. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Turks have this them. mindset now that's like we need to. We are a player in the region now that the EU Turkish EU thing clearly is never going to happen. We're going to, you know, make our mark felt like we did in the the Ottoman the Ottoman Empire days. And I think the Russians smartly realize that they're not, you know, they're clearly the stronger power than Turkey in this situation, but their interests are much more diffuse than in this specific region. Um, so they're, I, I think they understand that they're willing to, you know. We'll take what we can get, but we're not going to push this too far because we have too much in common. Uh, Putin and Erdogan have too much personally in common to uh, to make this a real scrap. Uh, it's called Sultan Erdogan. 
Wax, get it right. Sultan. Sorry. <laughs> has he been crowned yet? Or has, has the Grand Vizier not stabbed him in his sleep? Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean there's still, the Janissary there's still, there's still, Corps. There's, there's, still, there's still a lot of 2020 to go. Um, mm-hmm. Man, it, this it, would be the year for it to happen. Folks. Yeah. So we're kind of getting down to the last couple of minutes, so I kind of want to bring up, you know, and this is like kind of a big question to end on, but um, do both sides have legitimate claims or no? Because it's technically Azerbaijan's territory, but the territory is, you know, only basically only Arne- Armenians live there. So, and they've also had control for the last 30 years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it should be mentioned that it, it honestly was arbitrary when Stalin kind of carved this area up in the 20s. Like, it's not this, like, deep-set hatred between Armenians and uh, Azerbaijan. Um, like, it, it was relatively arbitrary, um, and Stalin can absolutely not be defended in any way with this. Um, and so I I don't think that... I, I definitely think that Armenia has legitimate grievances. I've been saying, like, I think they're at the point of fighting for their survival at this point, um, fighting for the survival of indigenous Armenians in Artsakh. Um, And I think Azerbaijan, like, I'm not sure how legitimate it is because it is majority Armenia. Um, I think it really, like, is it just the vested interest of Turkey at this point? Um, But... um, yeah, I'm not sure how legitimate legitimate it is at this point with our Azerbaijan um, because it, it's reclaiming territory. But like, does the area want to be a part of Azerbaijan? They voted that they didn't, you know, and that's what caused all of this. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I I think as my final thought, the issue with that thinking is how far back do we, you know, draw the line over who owns what? Because this, I mean. The Crimeans did the same thing um, a couple years ago. You know, they're all they're all Russians there. They've all spoken Russian since Peter the Great. Um, and but yeah, so at, at the other on the other side of that though, like how legitimate are international um, understandings? Like why is why does the entire international international community recognize Nagorno Karabakh as part of Azerbaijan? Um, and, and that's the thing I think that needs to be delved into further, maybe on another episode. I don't know what the, yeah. as long as we're blaming Stalin, I feel like the almost diplomatic <laughs> crew can kind of, uh, we can work with something here. Yeah. We, and <laughs> we've, we've done several episodes on that guy, that mustache, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. Uh, you know, is national sovereignty important? Sure. But how far do we go? How far back do we go? Um, yeah. Yeah. Sovereignty. It, Go ahead, Lex. Go ahead, yeah. Sean. Yeah, the uh, yeah, I, I and and especially, I mean, like hell, look at uh, the the Central Asian uh, countries where borders are essentially drawn to curl around each other to just make things difficult, and uh, they did a very good job at that. Um, and I and I think this is uh, one more example of where things were made to be. You know, it's like, oh well, you can't get along, but Papa Stal- Papa Joe can. And so, you know, just talk to me and I'll hash it out. Uh, and uh, I mean, luck. yeah, oh, geez. <laughs> but and and I mean, like uh, the, you know, Armenia had a kingdom that covered this entire area. Now, then again, Caesar was alive when that happened. But 
that it at least just shows that these are people that have been there for a long time. But but also, it's not like these people belong to a state, where even if that state is the same, named after the same national group they are. I think ultimately, at least, you know, in a, in, in a very 21st century way, you kind of do have to look at, you know, the self-determination of peoples and that, well, they they've been mistreated by XYZ government and therefore do not wish to be under the sovereignty of XYZ government. Um, and, and that's somewhat longstanding. But to Lex's point, this is, uh, you know, it's still an, an international boundary that has been controlled by, an, by, you know, an independent military force for a while. But that doesn't mean that you're allowed to then start rocket attacking or just lobbing rockets into towns and stuff like that and, you know, uh, injuring non-combatants. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something. It's it's been it's it's been pretty. It's been about a thousand people have died in the last three weeks. Um, and or no, who knows for the Ziri military because they don't they don't report their casualties for some reason. <laughs> for um, some reason, but uh, yeah, for some reason. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we come back and do another episode on this when this hopefully gets resolved. Hopefully soon, um, and like actual lasting peace, and then another status quo of nothing happening for thirty years. Uh. <laughs> But, uh, I, I mean, honestly, I do think that this won't be a that this conflict won't go on for that long, purely because of, uh, you know, once international attention can turn to it, it'll be it'll be given a bit more pressure. Uh, and then also, I mean, it's about to get very cold in those mountains. And I think that you can only I mean, regardless of how much fancy equipment the Ashabajanis have purchased, uh, you know, you can only do things for so long, given the environment. Yeah, that's the one thing I've heard Absolutely. is that the winter might, like, actually stop this conflict. I don't think, that doesn't mean it's a lasting peace. And I mean, the, actually, just, like, 30 minutes ago, because I was on Twitter during this, um, <laughs> the UN Security Council um, did issue a statement on it, but it literally said nothing. It just said, like, you need to institute a ceasefire and didn't really, like, actually acknowledge any parties, like Turkey. It just said, like, hey, <laughs> like, stop fighting. <laughs> Not even a so strongly, strongly worded, worded, yeah, strongly worded letter. Not even, but not, um, not a strongly letter, like a a midi, like a milk toast word word letter. Loop, I don't loop, know. Lukewarm. Yeah, lukewarm. <laughs> yeah, it's not but, great. Uh, so, I, yeah, I am worried that it's it's going to be this frozen conflict for a while. I'm not sure how intense it will get in the coming months because of the winter, but it's. I don't think it's going to be resolved soon, unfortunately. To be pessimistic, yeah, I, don't, I don't think I don't think it will either. But um, maybe we'll talk about this soon. Uh, we'll see. But we're out of time. So that was unlistomatic. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Ryan. Bye, Bye everybody. Thanks.